This is Battlefront Southgate, and I am your host, Dustin Faulkner. Welcome back to the Southgate. We are continuing our Immigration Warfare series. In fact, this is going to be a long special for you all as we wrap it up with a finale. But first, before we continue with what we've got to learn, we need to clear the air and get some things straight. It needs to be understood why we are doing this and how we are getting our information. First of all, one might ask, is Dustin Faulkner an expert on illegal immigration? No. I am somebody seeking to become an expert by learning from experts. What I do is I get my information from people who have gone before me. I get my information from researchers who have done a lot of work researching these things. I get it from the open source on media. I get it from people who have high degrees, which we all know that doesn't much matter per se, but people who spend a lot of time specializing in trying to figure out the immigration problems and the immigration benefits and where and what and who are causing these problems. And it takes a vast amount of research. And what I do is I provide that to you. Because in me researching and learning and presenting these things to you, I learn. And as you know, lots just, it's a constant learning process. It's a process that every one of us who seek to do something, we set out to do it in life, we want to become great at it. And that's what we seek to do here. What I did is I have come and branched off a little bit from what I did as Battlefront Broadcasting, which is a growing organization. And now I'm taking and going to a specialty with the gatekeepers. And in this, I will be able to provide that audience with an aspect of what I seek to do in life. And that is to become informed and to inform others. And you might ask, well, why did you do such a long series on this illegal immigration problem? Because as the title tells you, it's warfare. It's immigration warfare. It is an aspect of warfare which is widely used and has been widely successful throughout the whole world in various countries. And as you see, we have presented that to you up to this point. We have shown you what has happened in Europe. We have outlined that in the Social Injustice book in the Illegal Immigration chapter. We have told you about the issues of people who seek to use liberation theology, a.k.a. social justice, to bring in these illegal immigrants to change countries from within. And that's what it is. It's conquering nations. So why is it, Dustin, that you continue to do this if you're not the expert? Well, that's because I have to fight back. I once tried to serve my country by joining the military. Things happened that caused me to not be able to do that. I spent my time in there. Many would call me a veteran. I myself don't believe that that title 
is just great for me. I mean, there's various kinds of veterans, guys. I mean, you know, how many people go out there and do try to serve the country? Uh, you know, it's not that high of the population. But there's many men before me that did greater things and things that I wanted to do badly uh, when I was in. It just, in God's sovereignty, I did not get to finish that. And I was hurt, and I would go back if I could. For one, I'm too old now uh, by their standards. And, you know, I wasted a good part of of my life wallowing in sorrow and self-pity about it because I didn't get to fulfill a purpose I thought I had. And then I acted like a child. And then here we are today, fighting back because this is my service to my country. Do I plan to make a living doing this? Absolutely. But it's what I am good at. It is the gift that I have to be able to understand things and to be able to seek them out. And do I like doing a lot of this research? Yes and no. I like to be informed, yes, but it's time consuming. And you know, you have life going on around you and it's very difficult. And you try to live the best that you can. And there's things that I want to do. But anybody who seeks to do any kind of thing of, of what we're doing here, it takes a lot of time. And a lot of you know that. And I know that there are others of you who out there have different gifts and you're out there hopefully pursuing those and doing well here, especially here in the United States, because we live in a free country where we are able to use our gifts to provide for our families, provide for the Christians around us, to make things better with the services and make things better with products that we can get and to live as well as we can possibly as closely as possible to the Lord of God. Is that going on? No, it's not. There are those of us who are striving and then following biblical commandments to do these things. And that's what my service is going to be to you people, to all of you. Every single American out there, every single European out there, every single Canadian out there, every single Mexican, every single German, all of you. All of you matter to me in this world. And then I know that because we have been given such a great platform, we can do that. And I know that the title of our program is called Battlefront Southgate, but that's just the area we are in. It's a title. We seek to be international. We seek to be informational to everyone, to be able to act right and to fight back against the things that we reveal. And that is why I have done this series. And that's why we are doing this one last part of this program. Will that end it? No, because there's more that's coming out day after day. More things to fight against. And we have to do these things. And why would you say fight against them? Because what are you doing? You're certainly not going to take a passive role and then things be okay. For too long, we in this nation of America have sat back and been passive. Every single one of us. And then there are those who do come out of the crowd and seek to be different and to fight back. And you might not agree with how some of them do it. You might not agree with some of the stances that they take. You might not agree with some of their ideologies and their philosophies and their whether they're centered on man or God, but you can tell who is on a right path and who is right. 
we as Christians go to the Word of God and we figure out if it matches the Word of God, if it is right. And as I live my life, I seek to do that all the time. And we get busy and you pick and choose, but we got to always remember we have to come back here to the Word of God and figure out if we are in line with that. And through that, we can fight back even more with absolute truth. But those of us who seek to put our faces out there, our voices out there, our guts, our lives, our families, we do that so that you can live, so that you can be informed, so that your children can be informed, so that their children can be informed, and so that we can hopefully have a chance to reach as many people as possible and improve their lives. And that's not just some snake oil, new age philosophy on the stage. That's God's honest. Now, here we are, part five of immigration warfare. What have we learned to this point? We have learned about the Jesuits, which it all goes back to, but is it just them? No, many are just like them. We have learned about the Marxists. We have learned about the Islamists. We have learned about the socialists. We have learned about the liberal, useful idiots. These all mimic one another, all the things of Satan. And that's what it is. It's evil. You've learned about all of these things to this point. You've learned how they send the caravans. How Erdogan was used as an example, and he threatens to unleash many of these migrants onto the nations that he wants to push around or to get his way in Europe. And we've learned, as we've seen the Mexican caravans come, how the Roman Catholic Vatican Church was instrumental in pushing those. How Pope Francis, a Jesuit pope, was instrumental in sending those people this way. And how he's, he has been instrumental in condemning our president. Why? Because he's a socialist, because he's a Jesuit. And many of these things were created to stop nations of Christianity and nations of capitalism. And are we against Catholics on this program? Absolutely not. My wife's family on her side, full of Catholics. We hope that throughout the time that we spend together that maybe we can reason and tell why we opposed certain doctrine of Roman Catholicism and why the reformers were right. But that is for another program because we are trying to talk about a weapon being used against us. Using people as a weapon to flood nations, to destroy borders. And it's not even really about so much the fact that they want to have these nations exist. They want them to be under one world government. That's what it is. One whole globe under the power of who? The Roman Catholic Church. It's historical. And we have to realize this. And we have to realize that there are good people to a way, to a point, that are trapped in that church, that don't agree with that. And that's where we have a common goal is so that we can preserve this nation. Because guys, I've told you in the previous programs, 
We are the last free beacon of Christianity here in the world that has to make a stand. And we have to stand against these evil ideologies and philosophies and these things which seek to destroy us. Because look, our nation has already been torn within and we are going to show you now here in Immigration Warfare Part 5. by going back to 2001, September 11. Just to say those words to many of us, you can think and know exactly where you were at that moment. I can tell you where I was. I was actually asleep in the barracks. I had just finished our schooling for the night. And you do your PT and then you go to sleep. And I can remember that one of my battle buddies, Hoffel, was coming up there waking all of us. He was hysteric. He was somebody that had a troubled career in the military, but I could tell you, though, that at that moment, that this man was wanting to stay because something had changed the way that he saw what he was doing at that point. He described that they had attacked us. That's what he kept saying. They attacked us. They, they attacked. They attacked us. And of course, all of us went there to see that the devastation which had been done to the Twin Towers, something that many of us knew was coming in some way or form, because we knew that every generation has a major war. That's always what you were told when you were in. To sit there and have such anger for us being attacked, and to not know why at that point, but I can remember that the base immediately went on to lockdown. I remember all of us were being called to formation. It's just everything that was coming to that point. And little did we know that we were attacked by people that we allowed to take advantage of our immigration system. And you remember that ringleader Mohammed Atta, he entered the United States on May 17th, 2000, which wasn't that far before away from this attack at that point. And he was setting in motion those final preparations, which would be to attack the World Trade Center. All of the people that he conspired with, they did a very good use of the weaknesses of our immigration system legally. He was able to manipulate all of the status under the Immigration and Nationality Act, they used everything they did to get here. And they were able to enter and then they were able to remain here in the U.S. and move forward that, on that plot. And of course, years before this, the same entries were used to attack us in other areas. But this was one final attack that would bring a country to its knees. And to really set forth and to let us know what we have allowed to happen. And to also begin covering up things. And to also 
show a frantic ability of those who conspire to destroy us from within. And you will see also that all the immigration and the secure borders and the terrorism, they're all linked, okay? You'll see that it's not because you have a bunch of terrorists that are immigrants, right? It's because it's shown that all of the terrorists in the West have been immigrants. You have legal immigrants who are coming over here and trying to make a life. But then you have those who are able to make use of that system so they can destroy us as these men do. At that point, up to that point, there were uh, five completed terrorist attacks in, in the United States. There were the CIA murders, the first and second World Trade bombings, of course, and then the Los Angeles International Airport shootings. It's embassies in East Africa, which was Tanzania and Kenya, and then they it killed 3,341 people and injured 8,463. And the five attacks that had occurred between January 25th, 93 and July 4th, 2002 had involved 20 conspirators with at least one immigration violation each. And this is, can be found in a backgrounder on the Center for Immigration Studies, a nonpartisan think tank focused on fixing the, understanding the immigration problems, showing all of the facts regarding this good and bad. And then they would go on to say and show that 95 of the terrorists that were involved in these and the thwarted attacks had, as it says, 18 had student visas, F1 visas, and another four had applications approved to study in the United States. And then it says also that records revealed that 17 of them used a visitor visa. They were either the B1 or B2, which are the business and tourist, respectively. They did make false statements to officials. 13 of them overstayed the expiration status of their visas. It also says that 17 times they were lacking proper travel documents and they were facing the denial of admission. And it preempted their removal by seeking asylum, as we have spoken about in previous programs. The use of the false asylum so that they can gain entry and stay here. Also of these people, they were indicted for acquiring various forms and using them fake identifications, including driver's licenses, including birth certificates, including social security cards, and including immigration arrival records. And then once they were here, 16 of them became lawful permanent residents, often by marrying an American. But then we find out more as we go. 19 of the 9-11 hijackers are a really strange case indeed. A very scary case. Together, they applied for 23 visas and they obtained 22 of them. And then 15 of them had, they possessed 13 state-issued driver's licenses and 21 other state or United States-issued identification cards. And it ended up showing here in all of this that 34, in total, 34 identification documents. See, we're going to talk a little bit here about something that New York has done, their so-called green light law, and what it will cost after we finish with this. First, we must get a grasp on this before we talk about what has been done with that law. First, you must get a certain good understanding, because there are a number of you probably listening to this program 
They don't even know anything about 9-11, except from what you've probably read and heard people say, or been falsely taught in your public school systems. To hear the propaganda given to you by these same people who are committing these crimes, by the same people who are following the Muslim Brotherhood Memorandum from the early 90s to destroy the country from within by our own hands. In the New York law, the green light law, when we come to that, is a strong, perfect example of this and how people like Cuomo must absolutely be taken out of office. Here are a few examples that a woman named Janice Kephart found of the people who tried to claim political asylum to stay in the United States to commit terror acts. Here are some of these notable terrorists, according to her. Shohar Martin Siraj planned to detonate explosives about a block from the Republican National Convention in August 2004. He was picked up after wiretaps, and they recorded him asking an informant for help on how to build a bomb. And, of course, he was convicted on May 24, 2006 by a federal jury in New York. His family requested political asylum in 1998. Nuruddin Abdi, from Somalia, of course, was indicted in June 2004 for his part of an Al-Qaeda plot, which was to bomb a shopping mall in Columbus, Ohio. He fortunately got asylum in 1999. And his co-conspirator, Iman Faris, is serving a 20-year sentence for materially assisting Al-Qaeda. Ayad Muhammad Mohammed Mustafa, who aided the attackers, the hijackers, in 2001, fraudulently obtained Virginia identification cards. Anwar Nasir Aouki was a spiritual advisor to the two attackers. And Mohdar Mohammed Abdullah helped two hijackers in California, and he claimed to know about the 9-11 attack weeks prior to it. And then three terrorists in February 26, 1993, World Trade Center bombing, Ramzi Yusuf, Biblal Al-Ghazi, and Sheikh Omar Abdel Rahman sought political asylum. Yusuf was a mastermind of the bombing, and he was initially arrested with the travel documents which were fraudulent when he entered JFK. As you can see here, they are using legal means of immigration against us. And why is that? Because we have allowed ourselves to become weak. We have not bothered to change and look into these laws. Instead, we have allowed a group of people to take us down, to drag us to the mud. People like infiltrators as Ilhan Omar, Rashida Talib, people like Keith Ellison, many more have taken this country for a ride into oblivion. When we come back, we will make light of what just passed in New York in relation to what just happened and was shown here. It is called the Green Light Law, and it will make way for more of these people to hurt others. This is Battlefront South Carolina. as you say, mobilized our members to uh, uh, support your work with the uh, state licenses on Real ID. It's uh, since the passage of that, there's been a, especially a lot of opposition from the right wing in this country, mm. uh, claiming that the driver's license provisions uh, take away civil rights of citizens and 
and that's a bunch of well, had threatened their privacy. Uh, you know what? Uh, yeah, what, what, what's your uh, real ID is not a national ID. It does not establish a national database. What it requires is that an applicant for a driver's license have that application checked against the databases of other states to make sure that that applicant does not have a valid driver's license issued by another state. And we have used this program for about 20 years to make sure that people who get commercial driver's licenses, meaning truck driver's licenses, don't run around with a pocket full of valid driver's licenses, and when they get close to uh, losing their license on points in one state, the next time they're pulled over, they whip out a license from another state. Uh, the 9-11 Commission found that at least 15 of the 19 hijackers had multiple driver's licenses issued by at least five states. Um, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Mohammed Adai uh, blew off a traffic ticket on his Florida license and had a bench warrant issued against him in Florida. And right before 9-11, he was pulled over in Maryland and he had a valid Maryland driver's license. So the computer in the squad car would not be able to pick up the fact that he had a bench warrant out against him, and that's a requirement that he be taken into custody and returned to the court uh, issuing that warrant. And that is what anybody in this room would have happened to them if they blew off a traffic ticket and only had one driver's license. Uh, so it's a traffic safety issue uh, as well as an anti-terrorism issue because if you live in Virginia and you're one point away from uh, uh, losing your license because you're a bad driver and have a lot of tickets, uh, uh, without this type of check you could come either into the district or go to Maryland and get a spanking clean license uh, with no points against it uh, and keep on driving and accumulating points against that license. On June 17th, 2019, Governor Cuomo signed the Driver's License Access and Privacy Act. This is what they call the Green Light Law. Now, what he did here is what I just revealed earlier about the biggest problem that these people were able to go into these different states. And if you look at the backgrounder provided by the Center for Immigration Studies, the Weaponization of Immigration, it was published February 2008. But if you were to look at that and see the things that they were able to obtain and falsify, how some states, they have these lax laws, there's not much required to be able to get certain forms of identification, whether it be state or federal. And because they can get these certain things easily, it caused a problem. And they saw that after 2001. So into the debate now, which has been going on for quite some time, you have all of these people, and we'll get into it here shortly, with the sanctuary cities. They're trying to abolish us, like the great Ilhan Omar has been calling for with her red-green axis spewing of hatred and rhetoric, which others who ignorantly follow would go ahead and support. What we're asking for is very simple. We need to make sure that we cut and not put increases on spending on detention facilities. 
We need to stop using DHS as a slush fund. We need to abolish ICE and end all inhumane deportation and concession programs. We need to fight back against the criminalization of immigrants and those crossing the border. We need to create a fair and accessible path to legal status and citizenship for all undocumented people in the United States. But here we have another report given by the Center for Immigration Studies. And I will tell you about some of this because it goes definitely into the issues that we've been having with immigration warfare and how through legal means they will be able to take us down. And now, because people are fighting against capitalist, populist, Republican President Trump and their sheer outright hatred for the capitalist Christian in the United States and their hatred for trying to overturn an election which was done in 2016 and their favorite candidate who would bring us down to our knees had she been elected was not. So now what are they doing? In their states, they're tearing them down like this law. With this law, immigrants and what they're talking about are illegal aliens. But let's go ahead for a moment and think about this. Those men who were able to hijack the planes committed crimes. A lot of them were, they overstayed their visas, They but they falsified documents. And when they falsified those documents, they were able to board on the planes. They were able to obtain other means of support because they had documentation. Fill the Senate chambers as the Driver's License Access and Privacy Act, also known as the Green Light Bill, gets the green light. Today's vote helps support the promise of the American dream. By giving undocumented immigrants the right to a driver's license, the vote on the controversial bill followed hours of debate. How would a county clerk know if a foreign document is real? They're already being trained. They're already receiving funding. So this is nothing new to either DMV or county clerks. Supporters say this bill would lower the number of uninsured people, improve safety on the roads, and boost the economy. Critics argue the legislation would circumvent federal law and encourage illegal immigration. A recent poll released by Siena College showed more than 50% of New Yorkers surveyed were against allowing undocumented immigrants to get driver's licenses. If we pass a bill that winds up target, targeting undocumented, then uh, shame on all of us. Governor Cuomo reportedly signed the bill into law last night, which he said he would only do if the state solicitor general found there are sufficient safeguards to prevent federal authorities from accessing the DMV database. And what this so-called law does is makes it extremely easy for them to obtain a driver's license. And here is what According to this article, the Greenlight Law undermines with U.S. security. It provides aliens illegally in the United States and or others with nefarious intentions a method to obtain a legitimate state-issued document of identification. It makes New York State issue an identity document based on information provided by a foreign government with no provision which will cause them to be able to verify this as fact. Inaccurate. It also prohibits immigration 
and Customs Enforcement ICE and Customs and Border Protection CBP from using any of the information obtained by the New York Department of Motor Vehicles. It also causes many paradoxical law enforcement relationships that inhibit public safety and immigration enforcement. And they've been wanting to abolish ICE, right? Basically, here's what can happen with this law. These people can come in here and then just give a document that says, you know, and this is to say that their country's telling the truth in any way. Let's say that we have a country that has the intention of taking us down. Mm, Saudi Arabia comes to mind. Iran. Let's see. What other ones don't much like us? Uh, Russia. Let's see. Mm. Venezuela. Uh, we have some more that's coming over from these countries. Uh, we just had some caravans coming from that way. I think that they, mm, yeah, uh, some of the Brazilian countries and other countries that do not have the best interests of the United States at heart. They could falsify these documents, and, and there's no way that would cause these countries to tell us the truth. And they have to take that with this law at face value and then issue the document. Give them a driver's license. It says also that there's a really good point here where it says that it gets hundreds of types of reader documents. And what those are basically, they can give these documents from their consulates or, or wherever they are from in those countries and then they can use them to falsify and say that this person is not a criminal this person has good intent clean record and lies about their identification because they're not they can basically say all of these things and then they don't even have to have a social security number and what they do is they say that oh well i i have this document here it's signed by this country now you have to issue me a guard a, a license. And what happens by having a license is you can get into federal buildings. Uh, that's why in Texas, they have this gold star on that license. And what that says on that license is that you are a resident and a citizen of the state of Texas and that you are legally able to get into these federal buildings because you have been cleared of such. And they can get into here a lot of these people that are going to be here scanning these documents are going to are going to be expected to issue them. They are going to be expected to give it because they don't have any means themselves of being able to see that this is fraudulent. They may have trained very well on doing these things. And what it does basically is it keeps the main thing that they are wanting to do with this law is to keep ICE and CBP from doing their jobs of immigration enforcement. But it causes the people who do have bad intent to be able to go out there and then return back to the road as it had gets as many scenarios were provided, such as this one guy is a Mexican national and then he has his license suspended for the reason of very bad traffic violations. And then what he does is he gets it suspended. And so he goes back to Mexico and then he gets a consular ID, shows this birth certificate, whether it's fraudulent or not. And then it shows also that he has a different name, similar to the first, but a different name. And then he also is able to use a, a false address, right? And then he, there's no proof that that, because that consular ID, which was issued from over there, there's no way to be able to vet that very well 
and he obtains a whole new driver's license. He's able to go back, rent an apartment, and then be back on the road again, probably doing more violations like DWIs or any such things, which many of them have been doing and killing people and running from the scenes of the accidents. That's a small one. But to be able to come from a country that does have ill intent, and then there's no way to get back and see if those facts are true, because they don't have, they're not allowed to do that with this law. Then you have more people like the 9-11 hijackers flowing freely through the U.S. and flowing freely with the ability to take down city by city with a legal ID issued by a different state. So that is why they are calling that federal funding to be taken from these states. And honestly, I believe that, you know, New York, sorry guys, but there's a lot of trouble with that. And how many of them are actually even support Trump? How many of them actually even support conservative values? They're willing to kill children, babies in the womb. It's only so much of a means, it's so much of a matter of time before these people descend upon the areas around them and take them down. We also have another thing that guards these people called sanctuary cities and counties and states where they prohibit agencies like ICE from being able to come in and detain illegal aliens and deport them. Dangerous thing to make yourself a sanctuary. As I explained earlier, you're not protecting the American community, you're putting them at greater risk. And you're putting the law enforcement officers at greater risk. And let me make this clear this is something that didn't come out through the interview. I want to make this clear. This isn't just about immigration enforcement. Let's take California, for example. It's affected HSI, the criminal investigative portion of ICE. There, there, are, there are law enforcement agencies that have left trafficking task forces. Terrorism task forces, because of ICE participation in these task forces, had nothing to do with immigration enforcement. We're talking about national security, criminal investigations, but because they have an ICE moniker, they walked away from these task forces. I actually gave a speech last week to the Coast Guard the day before the change of command of Coast Guard, and one of the commandants stood up who works in California saying local law enforcement walked away from some of their investigations that deal with national security and, and massive drug seizures on the on, uh, maritime because they're part of DHS. I didn't even know that until he mentioned that to me last week after my speech. So we're looking at that. So sanctuary jurisdictions isn't just about immigration enforcement. It affects criminal investigations too. Like in California, we, we no longer have access to their gang database. Cal Gangs is a database where, when they encounter uh, gang members, they go in this database. They took our access away, right? So you're talking about gang members. So it's went beyond immigration. This has went to a whole new level this is anti-enforcement. This is anti-criminal enforcement. This is anti-national security effort. Whether they have any ill intent or not, the fact that you break a law and come in here illegally, you are then considered at that moment to be as much as of a risk as the person who does come here with ill intent, planning to maybe bomb a federal building or maybe a soft terrorist attack on a mall again. There are a good number of these, and it was even updated in April 16, 2019. To include several states, many of them, huge with New York, but there is another side to this immigration problem. And that is visa overstays. And that is the use of the school system. And when we come back, we will speak about that as well. And how much of a problem that really has become. 
not created nationwide. In the case, it just required uh, one state to check against already existing databases of driver's license in other states so that you wouldn't have more than one. And, you know, the two principal points of real ID is one driver's license per person, period, and no driver's licenses for illegal immigrants. Before we move on to anything else, especially when we move on, uh, hitting on some of the, the reasons about the, the sanctuary cities, and especially when we're going to go in depth on the infiltration using the educational system, and this is a huge one, there's a lot out there on it, and a lot of the visa overstays happen to be coming from that direction, and it's incredibly scary. So that we make sure here that we understand, as we have hit upon this green light law in New York City, in, in the state of New York by uh, Governor Cuomo, the clown, we need to understand, you know, exactly what the reader documents are. I need to make that important that people understand that because it's just, the reader documents are what a big reason that this is a, a very scary issue and, and the reason that it's, it will open up so much fraud and why it will open up a lot of the stuff for people to, like we just mentioned in, as we were talking about in 2001, how those terrorists and the co-conspirators were able to infiltrate into the U.S. and to use our system against us in order to take down many of, with many of the attacks that the CIA attacks and like the 9-11 attack on our country. And basically what we need to understand is, here's what a breeder, breeder document is. The U.S. has diplomatic relations with 180 nations. And all of these, these countries, they issue passports and they issue some for more than one type of passport, of course, just, you know, as we do. And they all have the abilities and they have authority to issue what is called consular identification cards. And that could be one a, a driver's license. There's something like 540 different documents that the New York Department of Motor Vehicles will accept in order for them to give a license to these people. And so what it is here is that when there's variations of what can be taken, like the foreign driver's license and what will be acceptable forms of identification in order to show what these people, who they are, their names, which a lot of them, they're not able to really get in touch with these countries and be able to properly vet, right? So you just probably might have somebody that's saying me. Uh, I, I could sit there maybe, and I might know pretty good about a Texas driver's license, and I might know by looking at a social security card, possibly if it, it looks fake. Well, most of them are going to be laymen, and they're just working for this government agency, and that you know, they really have no way or training of telling what this various types of documents they could just issue anything what that is is the, you can check out the one thing that is called the consular identification card and what a lot of them will likely be using uh, for identification and it would be presented by the people that are seeking licenses and what it is is a form a passport and, and driver's licenses are similar to these consular IDs it causes the potential for the fraud to be extremely great it causes it to be trouble, as I just alluded to, that you would see it can easily be frauded, as when we were presenting some of the scenarios that was presented to us in a backgrounder, which is available on the Center for Immigration Studies. 
And what they will do is they'll use them. Uh, they can use stolen passports and they can use the foreign licenses and all of these things. And then say that that is them. Apparently, the consular identification would be like the worst of all that they could use in order to use as a breeder document. And what the breeder documents basically are is anything that you would use in coming into this country to obtain other documents, such as the licenses. That's that. It's the simplest definition that would be used to do that. And as we said, that if you could just think about it for a second, and you think about how you go there and, and then this guy, he wants to, to obtain a license and, and a license is very important. Uh, there was an example that was presented that was very, what I thought was very great is it just absolutely opened your eyes about it. Let's say that this guy, he comes and he can't really get anything and that like if you, he goes, he goes to open a bank, okay? Let's say that Marcos wants to go and open a bank. And then he wants to go and open this bank, but the bank won't allow him to open up an account based off of just this simple document that's issued by a foreign agency that means nothing. However, Marcos can go down to the New York DMV and then obtain a license by presenting them this document. And then maybe, the, you know, and that could be like a, a birth certificate. And, you know, it's possible that they would borrow this because one of the sanctuary cities or, or county is Albany, New York. And let's say that, you know, Marcos goes there and he wants to obtain this license. And then so he just borrows the birth certificate from Juan over there in Albany. And he lets him borrow it. And then there's no real way for them to, with the Mexican government to, go through all of their file system and, and screen this person to make sure that this is true uh, because, it, you know, he's got a forged documentation and maybe he pays for some of these. They pay for these uh, birth certificates which are stolen uh, inside from Mexico uh, or any other country for that matter. What happens here is they're trying to say that the primary beneficiaries of the law would be illegal aliens. And they're trying to keep us from enforcing the immigration laws of the country, which as we know, what they're doing, as we've spoken about before, you start resettling so-called refugees or that are claiming asylum, and then you have all of the NGOs making billions of dollars from resettling these people and throwing them on the government rolls like, you know, Medicaid, and then you start having more problems because what happens is if you look at this, you'll see that it opens up our national security concern. And the reason is, is because, yeah, you might have these illegal aliens wanting to present these false documents and then falsely be hiding from ICE. You also have criminals that are coming over here, uh, which has been proven, and then they've been deported. You're, you have the cartels over here at the southwestern border sitting here importing all of these people for money, renting out children, and causing generally a huge problem of crime at the border. What happens here is they start shielding them. And what they believe that they're doing with this law, which will start and come into effect. 
I told my staff to take it down this morning. Nyer County Clerk Joseph Jastrzemski complying with orders from the MTA to remove these signs from his auto bureaus. They say, if you see something, say something. And letters from the MTA sent to Jastrzemski and Erie County Clerk Mickey Kearns, the MTA says that slogan is trademarked. What kind of thinking went into this? What kind of research did you and the Erie County clerk do to make sure that you could even put up these signs? Well, we didn't have any clue that there was a trademark issue when it's used all over the country. Last week, both Jastrzemski and Kearns put these signs up all in anticipation of the green light law, which goes into effect Saturday and allows undocumented immigrants to apply for driver's licenses. Anybody that receives a driver's license, undocumented, whoever it might be, come Monday, on uh, December 16th here, we'll be able to use that document, that driver's license, to board an airplane until October 1st of 2020. And that's a huge concern. But what specifically were you asking people, as well as Erie County Clerk Mickey Kearns, to be on the lookout for? Anybody that's suspicious. Again, it's all tied to the green light law, and that's applying to undocumented immigrants. So to ask people to be on the lookout for anything suspicious as this law takes effect, you're implying that people be on the lookout for undocumented immigrants, aren't you? I'm implying to be on the lookout for criminals, period. CBP and ICE are not able to have access, according to the law, to be able to skim through and look for these people. It's supposed to shield them from deportation. And so what happens is you have these people, the, they go there and do this, and then they use this thing called the NLETS, which is a, a computer-based messaging hub. And then what happens is you have this agency that requests, you know, by electronic message to another area. And a lot of these, the, the CBP and the ICE and all of these guys use this system, uh, which has the information of the people and what's going in here. And then they're trying to find the fraud. And they think that what's going to happen is, well... This agency requests more information about this person, and then maybe the other guy on the line, which could be somebody like, you know, me or whatever, that could just at his discretion say, no, I'm not giving this to you. And that's what that's, they say is supposed to happen. All 50 states are members of this system. Apparently, according to this document that you'll, you can read yourself, that says it may not even work as they are saying with that system because we may be able to uh, still get around it. And, you know, that r remains to be seen. But what the problem is, is that it's blocking, just like the sanctuary cities where you're, they are able to come, come there and then settle into these cities because of some liberal clown who has an agenda of filling the voter ranks and has an agenda as the liberal clown doesn't just mean Democrat. Liberal clown also means globalist Republican. And what this person can do is sit here and benefit off all of the cheap labor, which a ton of these people are wanting to do. Uh, you have the agricultural corporations largely benefit off of these. We'll be getting into that later about the visas and how those work. And they are allowing these people to come here and stay. And so what it causes is you're not able to screen the people properly and it's trying to block them so that they can't come and get the people that they are needing to get. Here's what the problems can do is that it causes problems for immigration agencies and 
also law local law enforcement agencies, and also for the, the residents of New York, which also affects all of the other states around them because you have these people running around with a government-issued document, and they can get into buildings that way. Think about that. One of the things that the, our agencies like ICE and CBP officers do is they're able to access this DMV information, and now they're being kept from using that information. But another nation that could be affected, you know, like let's take Canada. They're wanting to be able to uh, see these people. And Canada has largely been affected by illegal immigration through the southern border up into Canada as we did about two programs ago about, I think it was Sarif is his name, and he went into there and he mowed a bunch of people down with his vehicle in his Islamic Jihad attack. On the other hand, is this an isolated case or is it more widespread as the president suggests? Yeah, look, we don't want to push the panic button here. Uh, these are relatively rare cases. But what you can't avert your eyes to is the fact that there are thousands of migrants who are moving over the border from Muslim-majority countries all the time, including individuals who are on the U.S. terrorism watch list, probably 15 to 20 every year hmm. hitting that border. There is a risk. This is an issue that belongs at the Homeland Security table. Uh, a case like this, you can't really avert your eyes from. I yeah. mean, we have, t tell the five Canadians who were in the hospital and whose lives are permanently changed and altered from, from an attack that, that this isn't a real problem. They're largely being affected by that. And then you have their Lane Trudeau over there uh, taken away from the nationality and the a Canada first objective of m many of their residents. So what happens is they're not able to access this DMV information either because New York says no. And then it's telling their legal residents to upgrade their licenses to be complicit with this Real ID Act. And it costs them more money to do that because, you know, it's expensive. You think about it. You know, every time you have to go and renew your license or any kind of government document, it takes time away from your work. It takes money and funds to do so because you have to pay for that because it's revenue for the government in order to run, right? We got to have IDs because we live now in a world where we absolutely need IDs to do anything. While they're doing this, they're offering illegal alien residents now the opportunity to have these things. Magistrate judges in the U.S., they're able to issue criminal arrest warrants, and yet we see here that they're not able to access the illegal aliens based upon this law. They can't issue warrants to them because they won't be able to get into the DMV. There's all a myriad of things that this affects. And I hope that you understand this. And that's why we spent so much time just on revealing this one law here. Because this is the beginning. And what it's going to do is cause many problems in the future. Because now you're going to have people of nefarious intent to be out there destroying us from within because they have legal documents that make it easier for them to do so. And when we come back, we're going to get into visa overstays. Because what we're discussing here, guys, is not just the aspect of illegal immigration of immigration warfare now, but legal immigration and what the problem is with that. Because using those legal immigration systems they have infiltrated us they are here and the people are here which are helping you to do these things this is battlefront 
Tom. Well, first of all, I, I disagree with my friend here. I think that it is a huge problem. Maybe a few years ago I wouldn't trust the numbers, but the recent methodology used by CBP now is about 90% accurate. So you're talking about several hundred thousand people a year. Bond is a good idea, as long as it's high enough, so it's, it's a deterrence, so they're not willing, willing just to forfeit it and stay illegally. And also, what I think part of this legislation be is criminalize those who overstay a visa. Again, those, most of those who overstay a visa come to this country with a full intent of never leaving. That's just like illegal entry. So if you criminalize it, that's another consequence, another deterrence to stop this from happening. Okay, so five countries with overstay rates uh, of over 30%, Chad, Djibouti, Eritrea, Liberia, and the Solomon Islands. So when folks from Chad or these other countries come in, there's a pretty good chance they're not leaving. Now, something has to be done. I mean, we know this is what's happening. And yet we say, stamp the visa, come on in. And then they don't leave. And it's like, I can't even blame them for not leaving. No one's really hunting them down. Well, this bond issue has been in the law for decades. I, they just need to finally implement it. We've been asking for that for years. But I also think, equally to the bond, again, they need to be high enough where it's, it's going to be more than what they could pay a smuggler. How would it work? Now, how, do, how would it work? So before they leave their country, their home country, they would post, let's say, $1,000, 5000 I mean, it's, and, and it's, what about Alan's point that this is a class issue? Now, people be, who have no money, they, they, they never can come to the United States. Is that, you know, to is that fair? Well, that one's forgetting is this is a sovereign country. We have the right to decide who comes in and out of this country. We have the right to maintain a legal immigration system. I can tell you there's, there's, there's hundreds of thousands every year. And it, you're right. The population is, is not a priority, hasn't been a priority. Uh, when I was the action director, I made a priority, but we certainly don't have the resource to go look for million overstays, not when we're, you know, kicked out of jails. We got to walk the streets to look for criminals. So by by adding this bond requirement and make it a criminal act to overstay a visa, I think you would see a drastic change in overstay. Another problem that we have here on our shores is a very real problem. And it accounts for much of the legal immigration into the illegal immigration. It accounts for much of our stolen security, our intellectual property, our ability to be able to come out on top as the major player in the new 5G. For those out there who may not understand what that is, that is the fifth generation of what we see as the internet technology. And it will control everything, your doors, your homes. As you can see around now, everybody walks around with this technology Not that can control their homes from their phones, their vehicles from their phones. Everybody lives in their wireless devices and much operates off of wireless devices. And whoever is the major player on 5G will be the ruler of the world. That is most assured. And they will be the one with the dominant economy, and they will be the one who destroys and wipes out the U.S. if they succeed and we don't. However, we will go over a few things before we begin to let you know a little bit about visas. I'm going to divide some of them for you. And when we define these so that we understand what we're talking about when I refer to them, and when you see the numbers and hear the numbers, then you'll be able to understand what these are and the problems with it. We'll start with the F-1 visa. The F-1 visas are non-immigrant student visas which allow foreigners to pursue U.S. education. They must maintain a full course of study only issued at U.S. embassies and consulates outside of the U.S. The M-1 visa is reserved for vocational and technical schools. It is to obtain, and to obtain this, a student must present a signed form I-20 at the United States Embassy or consulate in his home country. In the form I-20, 
is a DHS document, uh, ICE in the Student Exchange Digital Program, issued by the SEVP, certified schools that provide supporting information on his F or M status. And of course, the SCVP is the Student and Exchange Visitor Program within ICE to manage foreign students and exchange visitors in the U.S. through SEVIS. And it does not manage the visa issuance and it developed due to the 9-11 attacker, Hani Hajur, who used the student visa status to enter the U.S. Important to remember that. Then there is the J-1 visa. It is a non-immigrant visa issued by U.S. to research scholars, professors, and exchange visitors in programs that promote cultural exchange, and, and especially to obtain medical or business training in our U.S. It has English language requirements and is sponsored by a university or private sector or government program. And the B-1, B-2 visa, which is a non-immigrant visa issued by the U.S., and it is to foreign citizens for temporary periods. The B-1 is for business purposes and the B-2 is for tourism or other non-business purposes and it is usually combined together. Some countries don't even need to obtain this visa. And the H visa, these are for, for, for foreign workers. Uh, H-1A was, it was for the temporary foreign nations and it was succeeded by H-1C, it expired in 2009. H-1B allows the employers to hire foreign workers in specialty occupations requiring bachelor degrees or equivalent work experience. Key. Now, if you'll remember during the 2016 presidential election, the great Ted Cruz was caught talking about how he wanted to elevate this by, I believe it was 500%. Can you imagine elevating this by 500%? And what happens is it causes companies, these corporations, with their research and development or whatever else they're doing, because remember, it's also for equivalent work experience. And this is another way that I've obtained a lot of the income on my side is because of I have used work experience in order to become better because you don't need to always go to school, people. You don't have to go to colleges, university, which these institutions, about, what, 90, 95% of you guys don't even need to do that. You just go and get a trade. You just go and learn to do things like I'm doing here, guys, because this is my trade that I'm building. And I don't need an educational thing to do it. You just need to do learn how to do the things, do them right and proper. But what they want is they want to hire these people out from outside because it's cheap labor. That is the globalist agenda. That is Agenda 2030. That is the UN. That is the takeover of all of the nations to come under their authority. Moving on, the H2A allows foreign entry for seasonal agricultural work and the farming corporations, the agricultural corporations, which have shut down family corporations, the stupid USDA and all of these people which are cutting out meat and trying to destroy those industries, which has been shown by Tom DeWeese. You can find him online. He gives a very good perspective on that and shows you what needs to be done about it. But you see that they are bringing in foreign workers, more cheap labor. These are such globalist visas. And not, of course, I'm sure that we need some here and there. I don't have a problem with that so much, as long as it's handled correctly. But we'll get to that. Now, the H-2B allows U.S. employers to hire foreign seasonal workers uh, the peak, for peak load, one-time, or in, intermittent basis for uh, non-agricultural labor, whatever that might be. It could be anything, in the, whatever, excuse me, again, cheap labor. Then you have the H-3, which is for special educational training purposes, and 
There's another one, guys. This is how they're filling into the U.S. This is the H-4. And this visa is issued to the H visa holders, dependents, you know, their spouses and their children. And so what happens, as we'll go into here, that these people are overstaying the visas. They gain legal entry into the U.S. using these because you have lobbyists there on Capitol Hill that are wanting to have these visas so that they can import all these workers. And since Trump has taken hold, uh, a lot of this, it, it has gone down, the things that they have tried to use, and it is, it's a great thing. In, in, my, in my opinion, and you'll see after this, I think that it is time for us to halt it all. We need, we need to halt at everything. You know, I think I remember, I've heard Michelle Malkin say this at some point over time as I've, you know, gotten to hear something she said, because she's very good about the illegal immigration issues herself. She's been going at it for quite some time. You know, her and Ann Coulter, those are good voices for this. And I know about how we might disagree with some of the things that are said or whatever, but we can debate the issues correctly. But I think that I've heard her actually call for a halt to all of this. And a lot of people call that radical. If this, the stuff that's being presented to you now is not an eye opener for you, I don't know what to say about you. You're just either shutting down or you're on the other side who is involved in wanting to take down this country because you hate this country. Because for whatever reason, and a lot of that is probably from the education that you've received. But please, I'm telling you that it's going to affect you too. If these things are allowed to happen, you could be the next victim. Your daughters could be the next victim. Your your sons, your wives, your husbands, your mothers, your grandparents, all of this, guys, it's all going to be affected. And for you Generation Z people out there, I'm, you, I'm, you guys need to listen. You need to listen. You're coming up behind us. And you're going to have to learn to sustain yourselves. You're going to have to learn to make your what? And you're going to have to learn to be able to have your voice with proper information and to make a stand because if you don't, you guys think you complain now about the way things are or about how you say all of these complaints, but you have no solutions. These are the solutions and the reasons why these need to be implemented. The fact is, is we need to put a halt to all of this because we got to get this nation back on track. That is what us America First people are about, getting our nation back on track. Then, maybe sometime in the future, once we have gained ground, we can then, once again, help people. Right now, we have to begin to help ourselves. And we have a problem, and we have a cancer within, and that is the immigration system. And that is because in the immigration system, we have had people here who do not have the best interests of you or the United States at all in their minds. And they're working to destroy this thing. The educational system is being used to undercut and destroy and hurt our national security. And this is the problem. Think about it. You, you see terrorist attacks all over the place in the other countries. And as Battlefield Southgate has presented to you, it's destroyed those countries from within like a cancer and how they went there. And now it's completely hopeless for Europe. But there's always hope, of course. But the fact is, it's gone. You can read a good book, which I'm trying to get a hold of myself. It's called The Strange Death of Europe. And I, I believe that that's a good book to read so that you can understand what we are presenting here. But let's talk about 
the foreign student and exchange visitor policies. You can see that what happens is we've had a weakening of America's ability to train for the STEM industry, but not just the fact that we've lost this ability, but it's for true, real, native-born Americans all abroad that have the abilities to do these things in STEM. And that's what's very important about fixing the educational system is because we do need to train in these areas. It's how we will stay ahead of the game. But what they're doing is because you have these idiotic educational higher learning institutions which have been taking money from foreign governments because the foreign governments can fund these visas. They send their, and not to say that there aren't some good people that are, are being sent over here to learn and then going, that they're taking it back home. Uh, how's that benefiting us? But except for maybe that, you know, they take some of our values with them, but quickly if everything's depreciating and being uh, taken down and shut down, how can they take any values with them? You will see that because of that, they're not allowing any of our people to be trained in these. And they're talking about, oh, well, but you'll, you'll hear many people out there say that, that it's because our kids just aren't going to school. Because if there's so much out there that you realize has been instilled and trained into Americans. How you see how males have largely given up and, and females are the ones getting all of the degrees. And then you notice that a lot of the females, and not to say that they don't have the capability to do great things and make great decisions, because there's a lot of great women leaders out there, you know, that I appreciate very much. And I'm thankful that the Lord has elevated such gifts to those given to those women but you know we still need to get our men out there doing these things and that's because a lot of it is how they've been told that they're not capable of doing that it's, it's about destroying the patriarchy and then you can read about that in the book called social injustice and there is a man named ian jotty who he covers that issue regarding social justice and the patriarchy and that book will be coming out very soon i suggest that you read it and listen to what he said or go on to gatekeepers online and listen to interviews that he has been on with uh, jeff dornett and listen to the things that he says he's spot on and he is absolutely correct about what he said we finally have a man who stands up to the bullies and punches back. Mm -hmm. We are so used to men who are wusses in this country. We have forgotten what it's like to see a real man who stands up and says, I respect myself too much to let you walk all over me or call me that or treat me that way. And if you treat me that way, I'm going to punch you back. Now stand up like a man and fight me. We forgot how a man like that looks like. And so Donald Trump is shocking the system at a time where men have been stripped out of their manhood. They, you, you know, uh, 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 the society is changing. You know, roles are changing. So in our society today, they want a man that they can walk all over. And, you know, they say, oh, we need somebody who is nice and, you know, like, like Romney or like McCain. You know, everybody loved McCain until he ran for president. Mm -hmm. Then they did the same thing to him. Mm -hmm. Everybody loved Romney until he ran for president. They did the same thing to him. I mean, if you would hear CNN talk about Romney or McCain when they were running for president, yeah. they were saying the same thing he like Trump. He was racist, he hated women, all of those things. So the that's same thing. But moving back on and getting back on track here, you will see as we look here, 
We need to remember that, yes, we are. We may be training some people to come here and then learn these trades, to be able to be educated here and not educated in their own country, which gives us the opportunity to be able to train people who are different than us and have not had the good worldviews that we have as Americans and the work ethic we have as Americans and the goodwill that typically Americans do have toward others. But there are some that come here, even if they are in small numbers, and they participate in terrorism, they'll participate in espionage. That's what we've had long. If you look, as we've shown before, that a lot of the apprehensions, the OTMs, which is called Other Than Mexicans by the CBP, has actually been shown to be some Asians, and uh, especially Chinese people. Recently, there was some apprehended in the western part of Texas along the border there, which uh, happened to be some of the people from Hong Kong. There, and there are people that are hostile here. They are brought in, and even if these people do go, they learn these great traits, and we've talked about this before, maybe not on this program, but in some Battlefront broadcasting broadcasts, we have shown a thing called The Perfect Storm, which was an article written by Mary Fanning and others that shows that the Jafars were educated, I believe, here, and... Also, and then they go over there, and now look what they've done with Gulf Tanner. You can go and check that out on uh, the Center for Security Policy. You will also see that we've had other people that have come here to be hostile, just as we mentioned earlier about the 9-11 terrorists who used, it was the F-1 visa program, to come here illegally, dropped out of classes, right? He just stopped showing up, and he went on to do other things, including pilot programs and such things. And then what happened? Hijacked, took down, uh, brought a nation to its knees. Just a few people. That's why you need to understand that just because you say, oh, well, it's not the majority of them, that if you have a couple of million uh, come in, that's such a large number, even though you might not think about it in the grander scheme. It's such a large number. We have so many people here that need to be taken care of. That you, Even if you have just 6,000 of those people, that do not care for this nation and are here to be in their sleeper cells. Uh, they're here to commit espionage and they're sending stuff back to their native countries or they're getting ready to be doing their, their so-called lone wolf attacks or maybe they're in the cells where they have orchestrated attacks or, or worse, they're getting into politics, which we'll get to later. They, just 6,000 of them can take us down. That, I believe that's absolutely possible. And the reason is, is because if you just think about how much damage just 19 or 20 of them did in 2001. And what did that do to the country? It sent us into a downward spiral. And then through that, they were able to, with care, manipulate and then take down the guard again of Americans about the truth of Islam. But if you will see here, there is a table we'll talk about. From 2013 to 2017, this is the non-immigrant uh, student and scholar admissions. For the F1 students, remember, if you need to, to go back and rewind and find out as I give you the definitions of these visas. The, in 2013, the F1 students were 1,577,509. 2014, 1,737,927. 2015, 1,886,948. 2016, 1,858,644. And then in 2017, they were at 1,845,739. Now, 
And then you also had the M1 vocational students at 19,106, 20,534, then 19,878, then 2016, 18,726, then in 2017, 19,129. J1 exchange scholars were, from 2013 to 2017, 23,548, 5,202,357, 30,149, 2,244,585, 2,488,782, this was the adjudications of the non-immigrant and student scholar consulate visa adjudications, right? And you can get this information from the, the non-immigrant visas, outcomes in, of applications and changes in response to the 2017 executive action on the DHS site. And what that is, is the total of adjudications, remember those numbers, 1,050,306 in 2013. We'll go ahead and skip over this right here. And then, but you'll see which were issued 814,138. That means that 18% were denied. If you think about some of the problems and the risks involved in this, because a lot of them have been actually um, having their countries to falsify the Form I-20. Let's do a little bit of history. In the Iranian hostage crisis of, of 1979, there was the, the U.S. enforcement and intelligence agencies apparently were concerned about the existence of these hostile students. Then they were compounded with more concern because of the, I, the INS, which is the Immigration and Naturalization Service, and it wasn't automated very well. There was a lot of problems there they were getting through. And remember, we had a very liberal president at that this time, and you can listen to a lot of Sharam Hadian's story because it, it, it revolves around this time period about his family. Even then... Because of this issue, Jimmy Carter, you know, as liberal as he was, he required that all of the Iranian students register, and then they had to establish their legal non-immigrant presence. And then, they, if they failed to register, they were declared in violation of the status. They were told to, the INS agents were told to coordinate and then obtain the names and the personal data of all of the Iranians. When they were identified... And they did not comply with the legal registration. They were arrested. You can find that. He was a, an Iranian revolutionary leftist. It was an organization that the Mujahideen Ibkak, I think that's how you pronounce it. 
That's where that information came from. Then if you think about, here goes another one for you. And let's talk about Libya. That was under the leadership of Colonel Muammar Gaddafi. And it was very hostile toward us at this point. And I believe they still are. But his government was, a, they believed that he was attempting to develop nuclear and chemical weapons. And he was a, establishing an aggressive air defense policy and then uh, he was there was a bunch of stuff with the territorial waters that extended but beyond their three mile limit. It was called the Light of Death, and Gaddafi also was uh, they believed him to have authorized sales of hit teams that they identified as enemies of the brotherly leader. And you remember that in 1983, President Reagan, who came after Carter, by the way. He was very concerned about this and his actions that he told him. He told INS officials to make regulations to, to prohibit any Libya students from studying in the U.S. at flat schools, all of that. Those actions that were taken against the Iranian and Libyan students, and this was at the urging of many, there were multiple federal intelligence and counterintelligence officials at the time who did recognize that the foreign, state, the foreign students and exchange scholars post special cases like these that we deal with, like in 9-11. Again, we'll go right back over this just so you'll remember. Hani Hanjour came. He was able to go back and forth from, to Saudi Arabia in the United States. He received a student visa in Saudi Arabia, and then he came here to study as in the English as a second language program. And then, this was in Arizona, and then another one in California, and then his attendance at this ESL, he barely attended, was hardly there. They weren't even keeping up with this guy. And then now they're supposed to do this, guys, but uh, apparently it's not being done very well. But he was able to leave this. He went into, I believe it was a pilot program, and then... He did one more to return to the United States, and then he joined along with his other co-conspirator and went for San Diego. Because the INS had found out about that, they instituted the requirement about schools reporting the no-shows, such as this person. About SEVP, you'll know that it is, it's under ICE, all right? And it's, it was done after 9-11, and it was supposed to be an organization under the DHS and they were supposed to be able to police all of this stuff with the people. And they have had a very large problem with doing this. That if you look at some of the numbers from the 2017 to 2018 academic year, this is key. And then we're going to move on to something here, which is that 363,341 Chinese students were enrolled, which was a 3% increase over the 2016 to 2017 years. 12,783 were Iranians, students, 7,537 uh, Pakistanis, uh, 5,518 5, Russian students, uh, 44,432 Saudi Arabian students. And apparently that's a de decrease, which is weird because the overstays for that country is apparently pretty high. 726 Syrians and then 10,520 Turkish students. And there was apparent, there's oversights in these things. And because of these people, they've flown under the radar. We have, I believe it's like 700,000 on these visa overstays. 
the 700,000 has caused a lot of problems for us because this is against the law. And so what happens here is we start getting these four students and the scholars. What we need to realize is that many of them are there, that there's some of them that are coming from countries like Syria and Saudi Arabia, which are known to have active terrorist movements. And then there has been times that that a lot of these governments have been accused of being complicit in providing the safe haven and, and material support for these people. And then they have, and then there's countries there in the, that are involved in these visas, which have hostile and aggressive intelligence against us, such as China. I mean, obviously, that's why the President Trump got rid of Huawei. Uh, not completely, but it needs to be done done completely. They're, they need to be completely banned from this country. And so what are we looking at here? We need to be, we need to start limiting these, these granted visas. And I told you that. My opinion is that we just need to halt all of it, all of the all of it, the immigration for a time period, until we get back on our feet. Because in these schools, you have like Texas A&M was one of those schools that got in trouble because they were found that Qatar was doing propaganda activities in the U.S. and they were uh, funding a lot of these programs inside of the schools. And see, like remember, I told you that the institutions of higher learning uh, are, are loving this because these foreign governments are paying this. They are paying the fees for these students and then in the tuition and they're paying for the visas. And then you think about this for a second. You remember about all of these people going into debt, going into school for no good reasons. A lot of the reasons that they go in are really ridiculous degrees. But you will find that a lot of them are paying. They're willing to pay. And these elevated, these increased, these stupid, unbelievable rates for college for the students. What does a foreign government do? They'll willingly pay that, and then these schools were willingly taking this money. There was also found that this Qatar-funded organization was given $30 million to U.S. public schools. And they were funding Arabic language programs. And now you can see many reports that uh, there was uh, there, these school, there's schools that have been making the children do the Shahada. They have been going to the military centers called mosques in the country and then kneeling down and doing the prayer, you know, submitting to Islam. Which, if you were to get any kind of us in there with the Christians to do any of this, we'd be quickly thrown out and we'd be facing some kind of ACLU or SPLC problem about separation of church and state, but it's never, ever, ever against the groups which are hostile because they are part of those groups. Back to the numbers. I just told you that 700,000 overstayers are the visas. These visas, the visa overstays, is the problem. They're overstaying in the U.S. in 2017. It may be, a, and it's a decline from 2016, but if you look, the overstays were in the B1 and B2 categories. It grew by 5%. 300 and then 20% of the 302,000 B visa overstays were from two countries. And then that was from 33,760 from Brazil and then 30,424 from Venezuela. And what's going on over there? Socialism. Uh, has destroyed the country, and a lot of the Antifa people have been going to Venezuela and being 
taught how to fight against us by the communists. And then coming back over here, they're carrying around that manual on how to do these things. And they're teaching others here you know, with their black masks, their skinny jeans, and then their hoodies. And then this was really key I found was that the highest overstay rate was the student and exchange visitors. That would be the F, the M, and the J thesis. It has twice the overstay rate of all of the other categories. And then you see that there were 40% of the, the overstays were, in 2017, were from uh, four countries. This is Saudi Arabia, India, South Korea, and China. So what does this say to you guys? It says that we have a problem here. We have Confucius Institutes, which they were, which they were finding was now, it's supposed to be under the guise that they, they're exchanging cultural ideas and everything with these visas and that they're able to help us. But what kind of ideas are they on the campus doing? Well, they were finding, it's the Washington Free Beacon had reported, that they were teaching communist propaganda. Well, that's no surprise because what do we see now? Then here goes another thing, which you can read about. Uh, on understandingthethreat.com was the, the Gulen movement. That's not gone. And I don't believe at all that Gulen and Erdogan are actually enemies. I believe it's just a good theatrical show because it makes me wonder because the Gulen movement has come here and what they've done is they're trying to get, they, they take these students, they take these politicians, future lawmakers over to Turkey and then they give them the propaganda and the falsehoods of Islam and they come back here. And then they go into the community as activists and start implementing laws and rules which show, which make us submit to the Sharia effort. Now, for a long time, as I said, um, the ideology of, of uh, the AKP party, of Erdogan and of uh, Fethullah Gulen, um, that ideology was very similar. It was very much aligned. It was very much um, uh, in, in the same uh, spirit of uh, traditional authoritative orthodox Islam, uh, meaning Sharia adherence, uh, commitment to jihad. Um, not overtly, um, this is a gradual thing, especially as you may know, uh, with the Muslim Brotherhood, the, um, uh, the, the tactic or even strategy perhaps to make it uh, overarching uh, is a gradualist one. If you've ever read Syed Qutb, one of the key theoreticians of the Muslim Brotherhood, and his special uh, you know, key monograph called Milestones, he talks about uh, instituting Sharia gradually. In other words, the milestones uh, referred to in the title of that book of his mean the milestones on a highway, you know, my, the mile markers, mile one, two, three, five, ten, gradually uh, introducing a society, bringing a society along uh, to uh, eventually a full expression of Sharia adherence and commitment to jihad. You will see that he has done this by a lot of U.S. funding. You know, we're harboring a terrorist here. Why did he come here? He came here to propagandize, and that's absolutely what he's done through the, the Gulen movement. And then he's got these charter schools, which are funded by your states, Texas being one of them, and they're sending under the guise that they're teaching uh, strong STEM programs. And so people are sending their children to these schools, but then they're finding that they're being taught the propaganda Islam. What does that mean for us? What, what happens here? We start importing all of these. They 
falsely overstay their visas. They go into the communities. They cause these things called anchor communities, which if you go and look back on the backgrounder regarding weaponization of immigration on the Center for Immigration Studies, you will see that there's these things called anchor communities. And in the anchor communities, there's legal and then there's illegal. So what do they do? They start bringing over more of their folks. And (laughs) I said this in a program to another one. There was a really good analogy of what we, a really good metaphor that we use regarding about how you get these people a cookie and then they'll go in to continue to vote for you. And then they, you start giving them when that's what they're after here. Uh, especially if you look at it with the New York law, that they're going to bring more people here and then they're going to start flooding these areas with people who support them. And then what do they do? They're going to change the voter base. And it's the easiest way for them to begin implementing their policies. So what happens is then we have people like Ilhan Omar who are here. They begin to implement their Green New Deal issues. She has a thing that she's doing trying to develop these public housing, which I believe is what would house close to 2 million people. And what do you think those people are going to be? Hostile to the United States possibly? Do you think that any of them are going to support capitalism? And what is the main thing that has caused capitalism? Christianity. Do you think that any of them are going to love on Christians? I don't think so. And there's too much information that shows otherwise. The activist groups have become radicalized themselves where they're not really interested in border security anymore. They used to be interested in everything. That's why we had the comprehensive approach. So they're not, they're more open borders, they're more pro-amnesty, and that isolates them, but it also enables them to influence uh, those who are somewhat like-minded, and particularly the, uh, the liberal Democrats, and anything that's not massive amnesty, they're going to oppose, and unfortunately we've seen that. I think there's a second component, and I'll be honest about this. I think they realize that if they can achieve their goals, which is to increase immigration and uh, give amnesty to illegal immigrants, uh, that it is very likely that those folks are going to be voting Democratic in the future, and that's going to bolster that party, and so that is is, um, could be part of the motivation. That is the problem that we have here. And we need to do something about it, and you are the ones who can do something about it by raising your voice and raising a shout. We will be back here for one final push, and what we're going to talk about are the celebrity evangelicals who have used their pulpits to infiltrate the communities with their social justice rhetoric and with their push for amnesty filling the coffers. This is Battlefront South. into each other's eyes and you know he said something to her and she said maybe and they would write what maybe what met on the bottom I knew that maybe meant whatever that word in Arabic 
and I would literally write it in ink on my arm. Wow. And because we barely had water to drink, let alone shower, we showered once a week, I built a huge vocabulary on my arm. That's how I learned English. Because I was so determined that if I ever meet an American, I want to be able to be able to communicate with them in their language so I can get to the United States. And when I came to the United States, uh, I came to America by marriage. I had married an American war correspondent in Jerusalem. We came to America. We put in my papers to become an American. I flew here. I paid for my airline ticket, paid for my attorneys to do all my paperwork, paid for my doctor's visit to do all the needle poking to make sure I'm tested for this disease and that disease to make sure I'm not bringing anything to the country. And then I had to study a two-inch thick book written by the Daughters of the American Revolution about America's history and heritage and pass a written exam as well as a verbal exam in English before I became an American, about America's history. Mm -hmm. By the time I became an American, I knew more about America's history than my own American-born husband did. I am a legal immigrant. Those are the type of immigrants we need coming to America because we had a fire in our belly to be all we can be as Americans. Right now, the people who are breaking the law to get here, not because they want to come here for a better life or they are escaping persecution. Look at the caravan that's coming to the United States. Mexico offered them asylum. Mexico offered them jobs. They didn't want it. They're not there to seek jobs or asylum. The UN, they passed literally by UN centers set up specifically for those who want asylum and claiming refugee status. They didn't even stop continued coming to the United States to the border, and not even to the board, uh, port of entry, just to break the law to get here. We have to have law and order in the country. So yes, I support Donald Trump. Build the wall and make sure anybody who wants to come to the United States can go through the proper channel and earn the privilege to be an American, because it is a privilege. Because people like me who did it by the book are insulted and offended when we see criminals are allowed to come in here and have the same rights that we paid with our sweat, heart, and blood to get and worked very hard for years to become American. And here we are. We have reached the final segment of our series on immigration warfare. And we have told you much as you've reached this point. We've talked a lot about the Jesuit order in this. We have talked about the liberal infiltration. We've even touched on previous programs of the evangelical problem. And in this final segment, we will go over some things. We will name some names and we will talk about some people who are a problem because of this. And they, in my opinion, in my research, in my understanding, of everything which is going on around us in context of what we have seen with the Jesuit order, in context what we have seen with the Marxists, in context of what we have seen with the Islamists. They are the ones pushing this forward. And you might be surprised, maybe some of you not, because you stay in the know, and because you tune into programs like these. And because you listen to people who have come before me, and they have raised a shout about this. But here we are on Battlefront Southgate, revealing the problem and putting in context what has happened here. We have shown you now that there is an immigration warfare going on, and we are at war, and we are 
going to have to clean the house. Because remember that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. Yes, we will expect those who are secular. And yes, we will expect those outside of the church to act the way they do. Why? Because they are who they are. And they are not in Christ. And they will be expected to act those ways. They will expect to be around the people they hang out with. They will expect to be with whom they have laid with. But we are the beacon of light. Many of you know the players, and many of you know them very well. They play in other areas when you can clearly see that they are Marxists. When you can clearly say, when you can clearly see that they are undercover liberals, and many of them have proven that they are false Christians. And some might argue with me about that, that we can't judge that, but we can judge some fruit appearances and you can judge about the things they openly support which you cannot to me and to the bible as shown in first john see that these are dark men read romans better yet too read ephesians and you'll see and you'll be able to tell that these people are not on your side nor on the side of light we've talked about jenny yang world release and what does she do? The Good Samaritan. She goes to Capitol Hill several years ago. It seems like it all blends together, doesn't it? And you can trace this back into the 60s and 70s. And see, that's where it's really problematic because we know that a revolution happened in that time. You'll see that there was a huge change in the 60s in the direction of this country. And especially with things like the Weather Underground. A lot of them are in those higher learning institutions. A lot of them are in your local municipalities. A lot of them have been on cabinets like Obama's. And a lot of them have been elevated to important status. And we need to know that these people are not on our side. They always return to their liberal roots. And I believe that in the last few years, because all of the stuff that they have been doing since the 1980s, the 1970s, and you started seeing the change in the direction and who they were supporting and where the money was coming from and the ideals that they had. You see that they know the way to change it is by importing those who support them. Let's move to somebody real quickly. His name is Tony Campolo, and we'll touch on him very, very briefly here. And you all know his name already. You know his compromise. You know that he compromised on the Sodomite Union. He already had some problems that many people were talking about before that. And he already had some problems where we knew that this wasn't somebody that we should be following. And when did he cave? He caved when his son announced that he was one. And that's how you can always tell the difference between who is really strong in it and who is not. Who really cares about biblical values? Because... Yeah, we may have somebody in our family that does these things and we may care for them and, and pray for them and we may want them to stop what they are doing, but we stand strong on it. We do not ever shift the truth. And what did he do? He shifted the truth to allow the Sodomite unions into his church and to say that there are gay Christians. Absolutely not. You can be gay by choice. But you cannot be Christian and gay. 
But enough of that. What we are talking about here is how he tells us that we have to accept the illegal immigration. He argued in 2011 that the Hebrew scriptures clearly call for children of Israel to make room for the alien. And this is such a tired, you see. They misapply scripture to make you feel guilty. He says and uses Deuteronomy 10, 18, 19 incorrectly. Who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing? You shall also love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. And we know that, yes, we do love those and care for those as much as we can who are not, who are in need, maybe that might pass by us. But we don't break laws to do these things, especially when they are coming from areas where they can be taken care of there. That every country has a chance for their own people to make the changes. They have to go against the people who are causing them the problems. They have to change these things. And if you look at a lot of these countries, they're not really from Christian countries. A lot of them are from countries run by the Church of Rome. It all leads back to Rome. And a lot of people that even I respect won't admit that, but a lot of it comes from that direction because that's why you have Pope Francis at the helm of the anti-Trump movement. The Jesuit Francis, who is calling for us to take down our walls while he lives behind. But back to Kampalo, he also used the St. Francis of Assisi, the mysticism that Christ is looking back at us. Of course, he also misapplied Matthew 25 like me. He proposed with others. He used that his father immigrated to this country. And you know, it's always about pragmatism when it involves these people. And you know that it is about a means of their Marxist, anti-Christian rhetoric. You will also see that we have a problem with one person. And his name is Matt Chandler. And it was revealed by the author Brandon House about his dealings at the village church. And there were some troubling things coming out of that. He had a woman on his church. Her name is Sarah Long. And see, I believe that a lot of things that we see with the village church are that they use people so that they have pros so that they have plausible deniability. They have them write about these things. They have them talk about these things. So that when it comes down to it, you don't see that he's saying those things. And a lot of these people do that. That's why Russell Moore of the Religious Ethics and Liberty Commission, part of the Southern Baptist Convention, one of the largest denominations in the United States, the one that's controlled the temperature, the reason that you have seen these people of the family industrial complex who say things that make your ears perk up because you have the hearts for family and because you have the hearts for truth and because many people, although they have the taste for that, do not have the understanding for it. And they go about their lives doing what they do, but they're not grounded. But we think about this as we go and talk about him for a brief moment here. He has on his website quite some time ago, Sarah Long. And what does she do? She wrote an article that told us that we have to welcome the Muslim. But what she was talking about was for us to allow these refugees to come in. Because of the group that she is a part of is a group that largely benefits from refugee resettlement. And we've talked about that with the NGOs. And we've talked about that, how you have the people who have profited largely off that. And what has happened is he uses her to allow the talk to go behind and to say that we need to be allowing these people as our neighbors. 
And that's why you have people like Afrin who speak what they speak on the stage and how they are the new party boys and the new party girls as Beth Moore has been along with all of the other evangelicals like Joanne Lyons who get up there and tell us and lecture us about how we need to be welcoming the stranger, about how we need to be the ones to allow them to come into our communities. And you'll see that a lot of this stuff that they have done with Lee Thanderson of the National Association of Evangelicals and then with Richard Land, who was part of the Southern Baptist Convention, they all have been with Jim Wallace and we all know who his communist ties are. They all speak the same things as Rick Warren in his false gospel, his new age gospel, his braggart attitude as he has learned how to do what he does from the communist, as he has said. But we go back around, and we are told that we are Islamophobes. And as you see on his website, that they are affiliated with organizations like Seek the Peace. And these are nothing more than bridgers. And then we see that they are calling for us with their George Soros-funded groups to be along with illegal immigration. And they always try to shame you into believing that you're the bad guy. And if you will notice, many of them talk about, as Russell Moore has, it's the white evangelicals. But we all know that is false because it's more than just white evangelicals. And you guys are so concerned with color, you will see that it is more than white and black. It is more than yellow. It is all of us who have a concern for this country and have a concern for those around us. Then you see people who signed statements against Trump, like Samuel Rodriguez, who is president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, such as D.A. Carson, who is the Gospel Coalition. In the Gospel Coalition, we know, are communists. Joanne Lyon, General Superintendent Emerita and Ambassador of the Wesleyan Church. George Wood, who was the General Superintendent of the Assemblies of God. And we know that there are problems with that because what has become their main congregants? Those coming from Mexico. Those coming from Latin America. The charismatics. And of course, by profitable pragmatism. What do they do? Capitulate. And that is why we are lectured by people like Randy Alcorn. And that is why we are lectured by people at the MLK film he needed to join Evangelical Immigration Table. Funded by Open Borders, George Soros, as done by great reporting by Botbart News. And because the door has been blown wide open, and then we now, and for many years, have had people trying to tell you. But you look, and you see, we have to stop these things. But then we think about Afshan Ziafat, who is the pastor of Providence Church, which is based in Frisco, Texas. He lectures you and tells you that you're not a good person and that you're selfish because you want to be safe. But who is the selfish one? The one who is lying to you about what is true about borders or the one who is telling you that you need to be letting people in and then being part of groups which are largely benefiting billions of dollars to resettle these people, these so-called refugees. And I always seem to 
question when they tell their stories about how they were abused like this former Iranian Muslim, Afshin Zarafat, that he was bullied during the Iranian hostage crisis. How laughable can that be? Because if you would know anything about a former Iranian Muslim named Sharam Hadian, you'd hear a totally different story. Maybe kind of a similar conversion story as the Lord took him out of his false faith. But everything else seems to be different. And then the allegiances and then who they hang around is very different. And that's why we come to you talking about these things, trying to reveal to you what is happening and what we must do. And the people that are involved with it, and they are largely liberal evangelicals, and they always sound right about the things that they say regarding biblical principles. But what does Satan do? He wraps a truth inside of lies. Because you know that the truth cannot harm you. The truth can only set you free. And that is why we have more to talk about on these issues. Then you also have the organizations like TGC, the Gospel Coalition. And this is a Marxist front. And so many of them quote John Piper. And so many com- co- quote people on Matthew Chandler. And you will see and you will know that he is a neo-Calvinist. And his village church, among other things, has connections to George Soros and the Muslim Brotherhood and the Chris Long. A lot of sexual problems. Because it's not a church. Then if you'll remember back, that the evangelical leaders, again, were trying to tell us that we can't cut Central American for system. But if you see that we are funding the problem like the migrant caravans which are trying to flood our gates, then you will hear and see all of the problems which have compounded to us. They are the problem, and we can't continue to fund them. And a lot of these are under the guise of the NGOs, the VOLAGs, as we've talked about, these voluntary organizations which make Billions of dollars. It's all about money with them. Because what do they do? They go and fund more of the things that they are doing under us. They sent letters back to Trump April with the Evangelical Immigration Table. April 2019. And you had had Sart Arbiter, who's the president of World Relief. You had Shirley Hoogstra, who's the president of the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities. Again, what did I say? Money. Of course she would be for that. Am I right? Because what is happening? They're getting money from the foreign governments. The visa overstays. These people are their bread and butter. Yeah. Oh, here's a good one for you. Russell Moore. The big problem of the Southern Baptist. The Southern Baptist Convention. He is the president currently of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. And he tells you. The United States should never leave the vulnerable to suffer in our hemisphere when we have the ability to do otherwise. History shows us the consequences of such decisions. As an American, I fear that the removal of aid in these countries will only exacerbate the challenges we face with migration. As a Christian, well, what about us as Christians who need to be protected from the onslaught? I am deeply concerned for the well-being of those who may experience harm apart from aid and moral leadership provided by the United States. Well, is he concerned, Russell Moore, sir? Are you concerned about the women and the children who are raped coming across because we are funding those countries over there who are sending their people upstate or letting them come through or not protecting their borders? 
And they come through here, and along the way, they're raped multiple times, and the mothers are giving their children plan B. While you search a Christian, because as a Christian, would you not be somebody who supports life at conception? Because you are also, by supporting this, being complicit in supporting the murder of babies. But now you'll get up there on the mic and say that you are, won't you? But then you undermine yourself this way. We know that you do not have a concern for anybody but yourself and for being at the top. But you will see soon enough that you are nothing more than a brown shirt. Then you have Samuel Rodriguez, the president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference saying these same things. You have them sitting down because you're not doing the right Christian thing. The U.S. Catholic bishops, they called travel ban by Trump. And it wasn't even a ban. And what have we said? We need to be paying attention to the countries that are hostile to us. Then you have the George Wood, the AOG, Assemblies of God, General Superintendent from 2007 to 2017. What is happening with that church? They have been filled with a lot of these illegal. Soros is funding all of these. It has been known, and it is time that we take hold. It is time, and listen, as you have heard and will hear, it's mounting. Brothers, what do you think is the biggest misconception that white evangelicals would have about immigrant communities in the United States? A populist movement of the mid-19th century whose rhetoric is echoed by the Make America Great Again crowd today was setting up fear of Irish immigrants, portraying Irish immigrants as black, like Douglas, and thus not the rightful heirs liberty of the nation, this nation promise. And while the hard-won work of Reconstruction wrote equal protection under the law for all persons into the Constitution, systemic racism and anti-immigrant sentiments work hand in to create an American imagination. And I think that when we talk about Roma 13, we have to be very careful. We trace the history of immigration in the United States from 1882 Chinese Exclusion Act. The driver of the establishment of immigration law in the U.S. was racism. We live in a very unique time with the refugee crisis, and even outside the refugee crisis, just the numbers of people from around the world that are coming to our country. In my hometown, the DFW area, um, 400 people a day immigrate to DFW, 400 a day, and 70% of them are foreign born. Do we see the massive potential that is before us, that Jesus says we are to go and make disciples of all the nations, and in 2018, the nations are moving in across the street. From fiscal year 2008 to 2017, the U.S. gave green cards to more than 2 million migrants for various humanitarian claims a population larger than the city of Philadelphia. Good evening, my name is Jenny Bell and I am a community organizer with Church World Service and I work with the new sanctuary movement. There are currently 44 people in sanctuary across the country and four of those people happen to be here in North Carolina. Unfortunately, they couldn't be here tonight to share their stories with you because of our broken immigration system. So I am here to lift up their names and their, and their 
life story. But when it comes to the immigration system, you have a much more complex uh, situation of the law because the United States government is saying, on the one hand, keep out, or we, we, we want to keep the border secure, but on the other hand, come in. And so the United States government is itself uh, really uh, dependent upon people crossing the border and coming in. So I think you're exactly right. We currently grant one million legal permanent residencies to people from around the world every year. The number of green card holders is expected to increase by 10 million by 2025. That's more than the current combined population of Dallas, St. Louis, Denver, Boston, Chicago, LA, and Atlanta. Now multiply that number by at least three and a half. Thanks to chain migration created in 1952 and expanded exponentially by Congress in 65 and 90, these new immigrants can sponsor their entire extended families, parents, spouses, adult children and their children, and siblings and their children. Princeton University found that recently admitted immigrants sponsored an average of 3.45 additional relatives each. An estimated 85,000 refugees and 20,000-plus asylees enter the country annually through an overwhelmed system so rife with fraud and abuse that the process is jokingly dubbed, quote, refugee roulette. Yes, we are living in strange times. And we see everything unfolding before us. And yes, we do know that there has been an invasion, but even more so, it is not just those illegal immigrants that are here because those that are here are the ones who have no care for their neighbors around them people like beth moore who throw fits because they want to be on the top and then use their positions to try and put us under their thumb and to get their money and their support from those who fill the coffers and to yell at us and lecture us using a bible that many show up to church but aren't reading. And there have been times I have been guilty of stepping aside from regular reading of it. But every time that I do, I find I need it more. And I know less because I'm not there with it. And that is why we must remain strong and informed and start taking a stand against these people. Because there is a biblical purpose for borders. There is a biblical purpose for building the wall around our borders because we live in a time different than those times before when we didn't have to guard as heavily as we do now. Because the whole world is descending upon our nation in opposition. As other countries have fallen and they can repair themselves if their citizenry and their Christian people rise up against that which does not let them obey God, but rather man. And that is what we must do here. What is the first step? The first step is to know where your money is going when you put it in the plate. You have heard many people say this, many leaders, and you may have ignored them before, but you now see before you. What is happening? When they tell you to donate your tithes and offerings to the church, what does the church that you attend support? Who is your pastor hanging out with and listening to? The voluntary organizations 
Where are their funds going? Don't just give the money to them because they say there is a need and because they pick a holiday and you may have not been to church in public worship with your brothers and sister for many, many, many months, maybe years. You must still know because you have the opportunity to not fund that which is anti-Christian. They're not helping those people anyway. They're lining their pockets because there's a way that they can change things by bringing people in and then supposedly supporting them. You have to stop the funds and those funds come from you. Know who you are giving to and do not be afraid to make a stand. Here's the problem. They are using the guise of the church because they know they know the Muslim Brotherhood knew. The communists have known. Why do you think the communists are no longer so much about opposing the Christian church, but rather supporting it? Why do you think they use the scripture? Why do you think they are teaming with these people that they have trained? It's because they know you will not raise a shout against the church because they are. They have taught you to be obedient to them. They have taught you that they are the authority and you are not. That is also why you have seen that that is why there's a false system in Catholicism because it's church before Christ. And the authority of the church are men and not Lord Jesus. Not God, not scripture. But because they have used this tactic, they know that you won't say anything to them and they know that you're afraid that people will criticize you because you went against Christianity. But that's their form of false Christianity. And that is their way to knock you down. You must start biting back. Do not allow them to make you feel inferior because they hold a Bible in their hands wear a suit, stand behind a pulpit, and have many people showing up to their Sunday morning services. Do not be afraid of their giant voluntary organizations. Do not be afraid to say, just because you say the name of Christ is in you does not mean that I have to support what is wrong. You have the guts, you have the strength to make a stand just because someone says they are the church does not mean you cannot criticize those in it. Stop being afraid of being ridiculed. Start leaving those that do that to you. You can find a biblical church and we don't need them. You need Christ. You don't need men. And that is it for us leave you with this urge with this strength now of information you begin today on stopping this if you have to march peacefully in the streets which they do then you do it
You share this program. You share the previous program. You share the books that we write. You go to our conferences. You show up to our rallies. You show up to everybody who is making a stand out there and who is sticking their necks out to stop this problem and other problems. Because if you don't, your country and you will have no good future. It's time that you use the voice you are given. This has been Dustin Faulkner with Battlefront Southgate. And we know that you will continue to share this. And we know that you will be out there doing something now and supporting those. Because we're the ones taking our necks out. They're coming after our families. They're ridiculing us. They're lying about us online. They're criticizing our program, saying that we are misinformed and that we don't know what we're talking about. But we have the information. And the numbers don't lie. The mathematics don't lie. And the truth is not a lie. Southgate out.